Turn with me over to 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to finish up this chapter looking at verses 13 through 18. And the title of the study is A Relentless, let me say that again, A Relentless Commitment to the Word. Um, this is really kind of a, a continuation of the thought that it had begun when he told Timothy to stir up the gift of God that was given to him when the elders laid hands on him. And that was a gift to be a leader, to be a pastor, a teacher, one that was planting churches and organizing churches. He goes, use your gift. Don't be ashamed of me. Things are difficult. I'm in jail, probably going to lose my life. But don't be afraid to be associated with me or with the Lord or with the gospel. We're going to suffer. We're going to go through difficulty as we follow the Lord. And now as we come to verses 13 through 18, we're going to hear him really zero, on, zero in on one aspect of what he should be doing as he faithfully fulfills his calling. And that is his commitment to the Word of God. It's a relentless commitment that Paul calls him to. So we'll begin looking there. Well, let's just read. It's a small section of Scripture. Let's read these verses together. 2 Timothy 1, verse 13, Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. This you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. So as we talk about this relentless commitment to the word of God, the first thing that Paul's going to tell him is to, is to continue gripping the word of God. He says, hold fast the pattern of sound words. The, the word um, hold, hold fast, is a Greek word, exo, and it, it, echo, and it means to hold on to something, to, to grip. Put your hands around this, Timothy, and grip it. Hold fast the word of the Lord. And the way that this is written, it's not like, you know, future, start doing this. But it's, the idea is that you have been doing this. Keep on doing this. Keep on gripping the Word of God. This has been what you've been going through. But now with the circumstances that we're facing, where I'm in jail, people are falling away, um, or at least turning away from me, and people aren't wanting to continue to walk in the same way, you don't worry about this. You continue to grip the Word of God the way you always have. So it isn't an exhortation to start doing something. It's an exhortation that he would continue to do something. And isn't that what all of us need to do? All of us need to continue in the faith. We all need to continue to cling and hold to the Word of God. It's, it, it matters how you start, but it also matters how you finish. And there's a lot of people who started out really well that didn't finish well. I think of King Saul. What a great beginning he had. But it didn't end so well for King Saul, did it? Ended with him going and consulting mediums and, and you know, going into the, uh, that dark place, being in rebellion against the Lord. 
You know, so we want to start well, but, but we also want to end well. We want to, we want to be like a, a Joseph or a Daniel whose whole life was marked by that consistency of being faithful. What does it mean to hold, to grip the Word of God? We want to talk about that today, and we'll, we're going to come back and answer that question a little bit later. But the next thing that he says is follow the pattern. The idea by the word, the, behind the word pattern here is um, like an architect sketch. You have an outline. You have a blueprint. You have something in front of you, Timothy. You have this pattern of how you're supposed to walk this out. And I want you to walk it out. He, he's not saying you've got to you know, say it exactly the way I did. Use the same exact words that I do. You know, use, no, you, you know the doctrine. You know the boundaries. You know the lines. Now walk it out, Timothy. You know, whoever God has called us to be, we, we must know the Word of God. We must know the pattern that's been laid down for us in the Word of God, which does not change. But you know what? How the Word of God is presented, you know, it's going to change. There's different personalities that present the Word of the Lord differently. And, and I just would like to say to, to many of you, and this typically goes to somebody who's younger or just beginning to teach or be the Word of God. Get comfortable in your own skin and who God has created you to be and use those gifts that God has given to you. Don't try and be somebody else. If God had wanted another person like that, he would have made two of them. He made you to be who you are. And so there's this, this pattern of sound words. There's this, this you know, communication that we give out. But you know, some people are going to be you know, a lot more animated than you or, or, or me. And they've got to have the fire. They've got to have more passion. They've got to be a little more intensity, you know, in this sermon. And, and so they, they find that. But as long as the, the pattern's being met, met and hit, that's all right. Others want something that's a little more somber, a little more sober, you know. You know, three-piece suit. I don't know, this is even a thing anymore. But, you know, we want the three-piece suit. We want the organ. We want something that's much more traditional in in you know, maybe even liturgical. Well, as long as it's hitting the pattern of the Word of God, praise the Lord for that. And so it, we need to make certain that we are emphasizing the pattern, not the, the one who's kind of filling out that sketch and the details with how they present the Word of God. So, you know, this is the important thing. And the word pattern here, again, the idea of, of having an outline or having a... Uh, a sketch that we're following. We're not making this up as we go. I mean, sometimes people in the world act as if we just figured it out. Hey, the church for 2,000 years has been walking according to this tradition, to this outline. And they come, it's like, well, you know, you can't do this. You guys are holding to this. It's like, we've always held to this. This is not new for us. It might be new for you to figure it out. But for us as the church of Jesus Christ, we have been doing what the church has been doing for 2,000 years. And so we continue to walk in this tradition. We're not going to find a new pattern. We're not going to you know, stick our finger out in the wind and see which way is blowing and, and meet that to appease people. It's the word of the Lord. It's that truth that is so important for us to follow. So grip the Word of God and follow the pattern. You have the Word of the Lord. Now, the thing that's, that's uh, interesting is he's saying, follow the pattern that I've laid down, right? He says, which you have heard from me. I want you to think about this for a moment. A little application point here. For 
Paul, he was confident that as he appealed to his way in which he had presented the word of the Lord and delivered the doctrine and the truth of the word of God, that that would resonate with Timothy as a good thing to model and follow after. In Acts chapter 2.42, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the what? Apostles' doctrine. I mean, the apostles are the ones that were given the truth of the scriptures uh, uh, and, you know, and revelation, and they were delivering that to the church. It's, it's contained in the Word of God, and we continue to walk in it. But it was their doctrine. It was the apostles' doctrine. And in a similar way, not that we're getting a revelation, but that same doctrine, it becomes ours. I hope it's yours. I hope what's found in the Word of God is yours, that it's your pattern that you're leaving behind. But what would be the response of people if you were to call them to say, follow me? Paul says, follow me as what? I follow Christ. The Apostle Paul never said, hey, don't follow me, follow Jesus. That's a bumper sticker that should be ripped off every car of a believer. Because the truth is, you ought to be able to follow me. You ought to be able to look at the pattern of my life. And the pattern of my life ought to be so full of soundness, which we'll talk about in just a moment, health and benefit and fruitfulness, that when I say, hey, look at my life, follow my life, follow the doctrine, but follow my life, that it would resonate with people, that we could say that to our children, that we could say that to our grandchildren, the people we work with, and just to say, do it this way. You know, there's more, on more than one occasion I have said to somebody, listen, you know, the Word of God is clear, and it says that we should walk these ways, and then we, we take that and we apply it to our life, and, and it may look a little bit different on each of us as we walk out this truth, but I'm just going to tell you, this is the way I do it, and right now, because of the way you're, you know, things are going in your life, I just, I just ask you, just do it the way I've done it. And once you, once you get in that pattern of following the Lord, if the Lord wants to tweak that or you want to walk a little differently, then do that. But if you don't know what to do, find a godly person who's committed to the Word of God, that's gripping the Word of God, and do it the way they do it. Follow them. What do you have to lose? <laughs> you know, you, you, as you grow and as you mature, you can make those adjustments in your own life and follow those convictions. But if you're, if you're, if you're kind of in a place where things are just, I mean, they're bumpy, they're rough. Things are kind of out of control. Find a godly man. Find a godly woman and pattern yourself after them. Do it their way. Well, I'm not sure they've got it right here. But do they have a good marriage? Yeah, but I'm not sure if they got this part right. But are they walking in holiness? Is there peace? Is there joy in their life? Well, you could do a lot worse. I remember there was, one, there was a time where some, some person came to me and they were unhappy only one person ever. And um, they, they were unhappy with something that um, one of the pastors on staff had, had given them counsel on. And it wasn't like a matter of like hard doctrine. It was just like, I think you should do this in these circumstances. And um, it was certainly a, 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 you know, he believed, the pastor, a word of wisdom at that time. And um, the guy didn't like it. And, um, and he, he accosted me out from a, outside of Panera. I don't think I had all my coffee at that moment. So it was probably a bad time. But um, he accosted me, and he's like, this guy this, and this guy this, this guy that, and just kind of went on this rant against him. And I said, your life is a mess. You're about to lose your marriage, and you're mad at a guy who's got a great marriage and has great kids and is following Jesus. You could do a lot worse than being like them. 
And, and this is the truth. It's, you know, sometimes we want to be too, well, I want to be my own individual. Okay, you're part of a body. You're part of a family. You're, and, and we have the benefit of one another. You, you can develop how you tweak it and you change it as you go. Not the word of God, but, but how you live it out. And so when Paul appeals to follow me, can you do that? Can you appeal to your marriage or your raising of the kids or your business ethics or, or the way in which you, you have the joy, the peace of the Lord in your life? Can you call upon, well, I don't want it to be all about me. Well, it's not all about you. It's about the pattern that has been handed down to you, that you're clinging to. But, but we need to see it lived out. We need to say, see how faith looks on somebody else because it helps us figure it out. So be that person. That can follow me. I, a friend of mine, Rob Salvato, I was thinking about him this morning, I guess probably because of this message. And um, he pastors at Calvary Chapel Vista. Um, he was the first person who ever gave me a chance, he's a few years older than me, to teach a Bible study. And he actually was the first one to ever sit down with me and goes, have you ever heard of a concordance before? I'm like, nope. Commentaries? Not really. And all that stuff. And he just sat down and, and began to show me these things. And he's pastoring the church um, that actually sent us out here uh, many years ago. And um, he was working at a grocery store, and somebody said, you've heard this before. Oh, I don't want to. I am not want to be a Christian. There's too many hypocrites. You know, there's too many hypocrites out there. And this is what he said. He goes, I'm not a hypocrite. Watch my life. He goes, I'm not perfect. He goes, but I'm not a hypocrite. And if you watch my life, you'll see what a Christian life looks like. And he wasn't boasting in himself. He was just a follower of Jesus. And we should be able to say that. I'm not perfect. Hey, follow me. I'm not a hypocrite. I'm not, I'm not playing a game. I'm not perfect, but I'm not playing a game. And if you look at my life, you will see how a Christian should live. And when I fail, you'll see how a Christian should repent. And so um, we need to be able to say the kinds of things that Paul is saying here. And then he says that these are sound words. Hold fast a pattern, pattern excuse me, of sound words. The, the word sound here mean, means to be healthy. You know, there, what you have in the Word of God, this is something that if you follow it and if you obey it, it's going to bring good health to you. It's going to bless you with joy. It's going to bless you with peace. It's going to bless you with knowing God. It's going to bless you to know how to, to go and reconcile. It's going to bless you to know how to, to repent. It's going to bless you to know how to stand up once you've fallen. There's going to be a soundness. There's going to be a health that comes to you as you follow, as you grip the Word of God, as you continue to grip it. You don't just grip it one week and then go out and live however you want to. No, it's a continual holding on to that we are to have in our life. And if you will do that, you will have soundness. You will have health in your life. Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want to be healthy and whole inside? I mean, yes, physically we want that, of course. But there is something that is, that is worse than having a, some kind of sickness, and that is to be sick spiritually or to be sick in your soul. And the word of the Lord will bring health to you. It will tell you how to live. If you've never come to Jesus Christ, if you've never come and you've never laid your hands upon the word of God, I've, I've got great news for you. When you do this, first of all, you're going to find that the Lord is going to come to you and he's going to cleanse you of your sin. 
Jesus came to this earth. He died on the cross because of our sin. The soul that sins will surely die. We all are sinners. Somebody has to die for, for the sin. And the logical thing is that each of us would die for our sin. But God is not willing that any of us should perish. So what does he do? Here's the law of the Lord, the soul that sin that dies. Here's the heart of the Lord. I don't want any to perish. How does he reconcile these two things? He sends his son to die for you and for me. That's not fair, but it is grace. It is a grace of the Lord that he took that place. And he suffered and died on the cross for our sins so that we wouldn't have to. And when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, when you grip the Lord in his word and the gospel message, you're going to find, first of all, that your sins are forgiven and you're brought into the family of God and health will begin to come to you on how to live this life. Why wouldn't you want that? Why wouldn't you want it? This is what the Lord offers to us. And, you know, this is why we, we cling to the word. We know it's the right way to live life. It isn't, you know, I, I have no desire to enforce my, you know, my own, you know, brand of life upon even my children who are all grown now. But I, I never wanted to do that to them because, hey, this is what I do, therefore you must do it. I wanted them to do it because why? Because it's the word of the Lord. It is good for them. I wanted that in their life. And so we are to do this as well. But then he moves on. And, and we're still here. We're just flying through this passage here. We're all the way down to the last phrase of verse 13. In faith and love. What's that? Hold fast a pattern. Grip the word of the Lord in faith and in love. How do I grip the word of God in faith and in love? Now, Peter, or excuse me, uh, Timothy is already a believer. He's not calling uh, Timothy to get, Paul's not calling him to get saved. So he's calling him to ministry. He's calling to, to walk out the gift that he has. So how do you grip the Word of God in faith like this? I believe that the Word of God and what it did in my life can have that same impact in your life. I believe that just as I was taken from darkness to light, that just as I have gone from uh, you know, being a soul adrift to having an anchor in my life, and having blessing, and having joy, and having peace, and having you know, a godliness, and good things. I believe that God still can do that in somebody else's life. I don't think he just did it for me, and then said, all right, we're done. I believe God's still doing this. It's the, it's the idea that's, that Paul expressed in Romans chapter 1. I believe that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. I, I preach in faith. I, I grip the word of God in faith because I believe that it, it's the right thing to do and that as I minister in that way, it's going to be a blessing to other people. It's going to be a strength to other people. And this is how we do this in faith. But how about in love? And it's interesting because this phrase, in faith and love, is interpreted differently. Sometimes people will look and say, Timothy embraced these things in faith and he embraced them in love. Or does he embrace this in the ministry? And, I, and I, I'm taking it that way. But in love. It's out of a care and a concern for people that we grip the Word of God the way we do and we cling to it and we pass it on. It's out of a love 
for them because we want them to know that same blessing. We want them to know that same fullness, that same light in their life that we've experienced. So in faith, I believe it's going to change you. And in love, I want to preach it and I want to cling to it because I want you to know these things as well. And so this drives us and this motivates us to do what we do. In verse 14, he says, that good thing, so what is that good thing? The, the, the word of the Lord, right? That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. So to Timothy, this was committed. It was a, he was a minister called by the Lord, gifted by the Lord. It was committed to him. In just a moment, we're going to talk about the commitment that has come to all of us. But every minister has this responsibility. Every pastor has this responsibility. is to give him the word of the Lord. 27 and a half years ago, when I was contemplating coming out here um, and made that decision in... in um, the Lord said so clearly to me from the opening chapters of the book of Jeremiah where the Lord spoke to Jeremiah who was feeling timid and as a young man and was concerned. And, and the Lord said to him, don't worry about it. I'm going to put my words in your mouth. And then he says, and only speak the words that I put in your mouth. And um, I, all I can tell you is, and, you know, sometimes when you read passages and it's like all of a sudden you feel the, the holy presence of the Lord descend in that moment. And I just remember just the, the, the loving but firm word of the Lord. He says, you have nothing to say but what I give you to say. And, and so I, I will tell you, I mean, I know there's a lot of things we can talk about. There's a lot of things that go on. But one of the reasons why I don't venture off into all these other things that maybe are important and going on all around us is because if it's not found in the word of God, I'm just not going to address it. Now, I'm not, I'm not judging another guy who does it. That's, that's, you know, they can do, they stand or fall before the Lord. But that's why, is that this is what I have to speak. This is what I have to share. This is what's been committed to me. Some of this other stuff I don't know about. But I know this, without a shadow of a doubt, I know for a fact that the word of the Lord has come from him. This is what he's put in my mouth, and this is what's been committed to me. That's the charge that I have from the Lord. And when I stand before the Lord, when you stand before the Lord, he's not going to say, did you take up the cause of this and that and this and that? He's going to say, did you deliver my word to my people? What was it that the Lord said to Peter? Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you, lo do you, do you love me? Tend to my lambs. Feed my sheep a third time, he says. This was the important thing to the Lord. Is that... A minister would deliver the word of the Lord to the people of the Lord. And so he's saying, all right, this has come to you. Guard this which has been committed to you. And, and the word guard here, which is the Greek word uh, phuloso, means, um, and actually in the, the English word, I'm reading from the New King James, um, and the word that at verse 14 that we're talking about is that, second, that first word of the second phrase, keep by the Holy Spirit. The word keep is the Greek word philoso, which means to guard. It means to protect. It means to preserve, to look out. And so that is what he's called to do. You're to grip it, you know, lay hold of it. But not just lay hold of it, you're to guard this. You're to protect that which has been committed to you. That seems a little intimidating, doesn't it? 
That seems like a really, really big task. You want me to guard your word? You want me to be the one? And you know, say, well, you know, uh, you know, how is this written? Is it, you know, is it an active verb? Is it a passive verb? Or is it, is it a, is a middle? It's an active verb. It means he's the one that's got to guard it. It's not a passive where you know, the action's coming from outside of Timothy, and God will act through him to guard it. It's just a straight-up commandment. You guard the word of the Lord. But Paul states elsewhere, who is sufficient for these things when he talked about ministry? Do you ever, have you ever felt that way before? Have you, when you talk about talking to a friend or instructing your children or maybe going to a parent or teaching a Sunday school class, leading a home fellowship, you know, sharing the, the gospel. Have you ever felt insufficient? Like, Paul, who is sufficient for these things? And the answer is, none of us. None of us are sufficient. So then why are you saying that we should guard? The, if we're not sufficient, why should we guard the word of the Lord? Because I believe he's emphasizing that, that commitment side of it, that we need to step forward and say, I'm not going to let this thing be altered or messed with or tampered with. But then what's the next phrase? What's the next thing that he says? Keep, guard it. How? By the Holy Spirit. So it's a pretty important modifier there, isn't it, to that, that idea of guard. You guard. Oh, but you're going to do it by the Holy Spirit. It's going to be the, the, the Spirit who dwells in you that enables you, Timothy, to stand against false teachers, to stand in the face of fear when other people are backing away and they're shrinking back and they're not wanting to stand up and speak up. You guard it. You stand fast and you're going to do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me read to you a quote from one author on this idea he says the task of preserving the truth of the gospel is so demanding and difficult that human strength alone cannot assure it maintaining the purity of the gospel demands the might and the wisdom of the holy spirit the holy spirit dwells within all believers and provides strength for them paul focused on that special enabling which the spirit makes available for use in ministry and so, yeah, he's speaking to a pastor, but this is applicable to all of us. We all have a place where we, we have to guard the word of the Lord. We all have a place in, in, you know, out in the community or among other believers or inside our families or wherever we may be where you see people that are wanting to tamper and change and, and adjust it. You know, in the Old Testament, there's, a, there's this kind of picture of what Paul is calling Timothy to do. Of course, land was handed out, right? It was given to the, the, the family. And the way in which they would mark their boundaries, they would set up these stone boundaries. And, the, and the, you know, the, they're called markers or boundaries. And in the Old Testament, there's a commandment to not move the ancient boundaries. And if you did this, this was a, this was a punishable crime. So you would want to take that stack of stones. It's like, hey, this is my line and, you know, 300 yards that way, there's another stack of stone, and you've got the, the property lines. So now if you want to come and you want to move that, you're moving something that God has given to somebody else. Don't move those ancient markers, those ancient boundaries. And in a similar way, the word of the Lord is not to be tweaked or adjusted. The ancient boundaries, if you will, the pattern has been set. We have the sketch. 
We have the pillars, and we don't change it. Yeah, but you know, today, people are so different. Get out of town. They are not different. Have you read, have you ever read history? You know, this is a thought, you know, you know, it's like, well, today, you know, politics is, is so uncivil. We had people that had duels in our country over political differences. I mean, it, things are not different. Well, people, you know, today are more enlightened and they're more free with their sexuality. That is not true. Pick up and read what it was like in the first century world. And how, I mean, look, look they went to places that were legal. They went to temples and they had sex with prostitutes that were there and everybody thought that was great. I mean, it's, listen, it was sexually perverse when this was being written. What did Paul say to the Corinthians? He goes, some of you were homosexuals, some of you were murder, or thieves, some of you were, you know, were idolaters. Listen, these people that were coming into the church, they were coming out of darkness. Well, the world's so different today. There's nothing new under the sun. Anybody who says it's, it's so different, they're trying to sell you on the necessity of change. you got to change it because it's different today than it was. Not true. Not true. It's always been like this. I mean, it's always been, things have always been out of control. I mean, we just went through the book of Genesis. I mean, there was enough in there to make us all embarrassed, right? About what went on when the world had just begun. There's all kinds of things that are going on. So this idea of feeling, well, we've got to move the boundaries. We've got to adjust because there's different things in the world today. No, we don't. We're going to guard it. Are we going to protect it? Are we going to say, no, you're, you're not going to move that? Well, I just think, I don't really care what you think. What I care is what God's word has to say. And I'm happy to instruct you and bring you along in it. I'm happy to have a conversation and talk about it. But I'm not going to let you change it. I'm not going to let you move the boundary of the word of God. Because I've been charged by God himself to make certain that you don't do that. And this is not complicated. Well, there's so many denominations and there's, you know, okay. You find denominations that have not changed their founding statements of truth and doctrine and you line all of them up and you will see that there's very little difference among the denominations. Yeah, there's, there's preferences. They want an organ. They want liturgy. They want this. They want that. Okay, fine. They want a building with a, you know, a steeple. They don't. There's all kinds of differences like that. But now you look at denominations that are changing those boundaries. Okay, that's a different story. But if you go to their founding documents, when those denominations and those movements began, what they had to say at that, those moments, that, and you, you take that and you compare it to others, it's not that different. Not that different at all. I just think it's another tactic of the enemy to make us think, well, why there's so many different denominations? I don't know, just because some of us don't like organs, I guess. I don't know. Some of us want to dress a little more casual. Some of us want this. Some of us want the organs. Some of us, you know, want to have, you know, the candles. Okay, that's all stuff. But that's not the markers. Those aren't the ancient boundaries. And so this is what he says. And well, you may think, well, all right, Troy, this is great, but this is a pastoral epistle. This is for you, and this is for people like Timothy, but this is, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a leader in the church. 
Well, turn with me over to Jude, chapter 1, verse 3. Jude, chapter 1, verse 3. Only one chapter. I've got the verse up there, but I, I, would, I would like for you to turn there because I want you to know where it is. I want you to get your little yellow highlighter out, whatever it is. I want you to underline this. I want you to see this verse that is written to, not Timothy, but to you. Jude's writing to a church. He's writing to believers who are dealing with all kinds of false teachers coming in. You can read the book. It'll only take you five minutes. It says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the apostles, to the pastors, to who? The saints. Who are the saints? Dead guys who did miracles? No, 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 not that. The saints, the holy ones, those that are set apart for the Lord. Believers, you're a saint. As I speak right now, I'm speaking to the saints in Lynchburg, okay? Saints just is a reference to the church in general. And he says to the church in general much of exactly what Paul had just said to Timothy. Timothy, as a pastor, had to do this, but you, as a believer, have to do this as well. You are exhorted to contend earnestly for the faith. Our faith has received its final revelation in the incarnation of Christ and the subsequent ministry of the prophets and apostles who delivered to us the word of the Lord. It's been delivered to us once and for all. We're not looking for new, new information. We're not looking for new revelation. Well, I'm a prophet and I've got something new to say. No. Not if you're talking about doctrine and truth. I mean, if you have an application that the Lord has laid upon your heart of that timeless and changeless word of the Lord, okay, great. But if you have something to share with us that's never been heard before, that's going to change Christianity, I don't want it. Because it's been delivered once and for all. We've got what we need to know. That doesn't mean we know everything, but everything we need to know, we've got. In the word of the Lord. And he says, I... I'm writing to you to contend earnestly for the faith. The word contend earnestly. Apagonizomai. It means to exert intense effort on behalf of something. And then, of course, how it's translated, contend. So this, this contending that Jude is referring to, it's not this casual, very gentle Kind of, I'll put some effort to it when I have opportunity. I'll get around to it. This is an all-out call to put everything on the line. And we do it for the faith that has been once and all delivered to us. Because there are those that want to change it. There are those that want to move it. There are those that want to not make it, uh, you know, not have it say what it, you know, used to say. They, people are willing to read the word of the Lord, and if they find any language, any word in that in a passage that um, you know would would allow them to speak and spew their own doctrine. They'll do it. So we read that Jesus came and he called Lazarus to come forth and to come out. Come out of where? Anybody know? Out of the tomb. He was dead. And, he, and the Lord calls him to come out. 
But you know, some will pick this up and say, look, even Jesus calls homosexuals to come out of the closet. Oh, they found the word come out. Well, I guess I can take the word come out and I can make it mean whatever I want, wherever I find it in the Bible. No, you can't. You can't move that border. We're not going to let you move that border. I mean, you, you will do what you do, but we're not going to stand by and accept it and allow this to take place because, you see, I've been exhorted by God himself that this which has been delivered, uh, yes, to, to her and to him and to us, but it's been delivered to who? Me. Do you feel that weight? Do you feel that responsibility? That God has entrusted you with his holy revelation? It's been delivered to you. It's been delivered to us. Once and for all. And we are to contend earnestly. We are to put forth intense effort. You know, what are the things you put intense effort into? Maybe it's work. Maybe it's family or hobbies. Maybe it's gaming. You might want to adjust that. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's school or politics. But you're putting forth intense effort into something. Working out. How about the faith? And contending earnestly for it. Not, not just living it out, which is, I would say, make a case as part of it, but that, that it doesn't get corrupted. That it doesn't get changed. The last generation, the generation that went before us, I, I'm talking about those that are all, they've all, they're all now in the presence of the Lord. The church generation that went before us faithfully passed on the word of the Lord to us. They didn't do it perfectly. But here we sit with the word of the Lord. It's in our hands. Pastors, teachers, moms, dads, and you know, Sunday school teachers, they took the word of the Lord and they passed it on. Here it is, they said. Run with it. And now it's our time to run with it. What will the next generation receive from us, from you, from me? So we ask the question of, you know, how do we grip the Word of God? How do we contend for the faith? And I'll just say three things. Number one, you got to know what it says. you got to know what you're holding on to. you got to know what you're, you're earnestly contending for. If you don't know the subject, you can't really do that, can you? Well, you know, I've just never been a good reader. Become one. This is worth it. We're not asking you to read Nancy Drew or you know, the Hardy Boys or something like that. Okay? We're asking you to read the Word of the Lord. A divine communication from heaven outside of this world to this planet. Read it. Well, I just, I can't read. I can't read at all. I can't. Then listen to it. Listen to the word of the Lord being read to you. I just can't concentrate. Learn how. I promise you, you concentrate on something. You, there's something that you concentrate on. And you're like, yeah, but it's harder for me. Well, to the humble, he gives more what? Grace. There's a weakness. The Lord can make it a strength in your life. Listen. I was a terrible student. But not so bad that I failed because I did fear my dad. <laughs> so, you know, I, but I was a terrible student. It's not that I couldn't do it. I thought, why do it? <laughs> you know, it's like, I got a B. I got a C. What, what, what do we need here? You know, this, I'm, not gonna, I'm never going to use this stuff. Who cares? That, I mean, I was, I was a terrible student. You know, 
I, I made books up rather than do a book report. I thought, this teacher hasn't read all these books. I mean, this is, the, this was the, this is where I would go to. Now, don't do this, okay, if you're listening. He said, follow his pattern. Well, don't follow that. I mean, this is confession. I, I, I made books up. I, I spent more time faking a paper than just reading it and writing about it. I guarantee you, you didn't dislike reading more than I did. And I, didn't, I couldn't stand to write. And I had a teacher in 11th grade, and she said to me, the English teacher, she goes, Troy Warner, if there's one thing I'm going to do before you leave, I'm going to teach you to write a paper, even if it kills you and me both. <laughs> Here's the thing. Desperate to put a sermon together in Australia as I was a missionary, I could not figure out how to do a Bible study. I hadn't gone to school. I hadn't done seminary. And I just was like, how do I do this? How do I do this? And I was crying out to the Lord, Lord, what do I do? And he just said, write a five-point paper. And I'm like, like English? Like, you mean like intro, three points, conclusion? All right, I can do that. And her, her wish came true as a missionary over in Australia. All I'm saying is, it's worth it. It's worth getting good at it, reading it and studying. So you got to know it. You, you have to, so how do we contend for the faith? How do we grip the faith? we got to know it. we got to know our faith. And then we, we, we contend for it, and we grip it by teaching the next generation. Oh, those kids are so squirrely. Yeah, they are. They are squirrely. But you got your issues too, and somebody taught you. So get over there and teach those kids the word of the Lord. You know doctrine. You know truth. Teach them. I'm not asking you to babysit them. Teach them the word of the Lord. The youth. You know, whoever, whatever it is, wherever you find somebody that's younger than you, maybe not even in age, but just in faith, pass it on to them. And then thirdly, engage in the life of the church. Serve in the church. Declare the worthiness of the church by serving her. Support the church. Declare her value by giving to her. Declare the priority of the church by going and meeting with her. Contend earnestly. Know the scriptures. Teach and disciples others. And engage in the life of the church. And the word is contend. So if you're looking for something that is conflict-free, you have come to the wrong faith. Now that we don't go look for it, but Jesus, walking the dusty roads of Israel 2,000 years ago, couldn't run away from contention. Nor could the apostles. Paul's in prison. And so it is, when you stand for the truth of the word of the Lord, you're going to find that the enemy rises up to be against you. We close it real quickly here. You're going to have to study it on your own. I've gone over. Verses 15 through um, 18, there are two examples. And he says, he goes, Now, Phygelus and Hermogenes, they turned away from me. Which does not mean they abandoned the faith, right? They're just like, this guy gets in trouble everywhere he goes. I am so tired of being associated with the great Apostle Paul. This guy's old, and I'm not going to jail with him again. I'm not going to stick my neck out. I don't want to be associated. Why does he always have to press the envelope? He's on his own this time. I think it, my opinion is it was more like that than we've abandoned the faith. It's like, I don't want that association with him anymore. 
no doubt would have been hurtful and painful. Paul knew them. But what about the next guy? Verses 16 through 18, Onesiphorus. He says of him as that he encouraged me, he searched for me diligently, and he was zealous to find me. Um, excuse me. He encouraged me, he was bold, and he was zealous. Um, so he refreshed him, was not ashamed of him, and, and just everywhere he went, he was diligently looking for him. He said the name that those guys didn't want to say. Does anybody know Paul of Tarsus? Where he is? You don't know if you want to be using that name. There's trouble associated with that name. And he's like, I'm not ashamed of him. He's in jail. I don't care. I've got to find him. He wasn't afraid to be associated with him. And don't you know, and we're reading it here, of what an encouragement that would have been. Don't you want people to be there for you the way Onesiphorus was for, the, for Paul the Apostle? Now listen, the reality is this. We're not going to always agree with each other. We're not always going to like the way we walk it out, we handle the situation. But it doesn't mean we abandon each other. We need to encourage one another. And listen, there's a lot of intimidation that's going on in the world right now. Don't be intimidated to not stand with your brother or sister. Stand with them. And, and I, I, I find that this is becoming rarer and rarer. I mean, it just, I'm sure we all have sat in a meeting where somebody's being talked about. And you're like, is anybody going to say anything about this? And nobody says anything. And then your conscience is, is just, it's just, you know, afflicted. Why didn't I speak up? And I should have said something. Or why didn't I say it? Well, I was afraid of how people were going to respond to me. I think that's kind of what was going on with those two guys. But not Onisphorus. Where is he? I've got to find him. I've got to love him. So even when we don't maybe agree with the methods and the tactics, but it's just a different way, it's Barnabas's way or Paul's way, stand with one another. Stand with each other. I think a lot of the disagreements we have with each other inside the church, we wouldn't have if we were over in a prison in Iraq. If we were locked up somewhere in Afghanistan together, a lot of the things we divide over, if we were locked in the same cell together, we'd be thanking Jesus for one another, wouldn't we? So I think we can divide. No, let me say this. We divide because we can. I don't need you. I've got other people. But that's not, that's not right. That's not, that's not, you, you, there's got to be some courage. We've got, we've got to, you know, we're not cowards. We're, we're called to be bold and not ashamed of other people. And I have found myself in places where to, to speak up and stand up, I wondered what the outcome would be. As a matter of fact, one time I was going to a meeting and I, I told Rebecca, I said, I fully expect to be kicked out of this meeting. I said, but I'm not going to stand there and let them talk about somebody again. I did it once and I apologized to this person. I said, I'm not going to do it again. So I'm probably going to get kicked out, so make sure your cell phone is on. You're going to have to come pick me up, or I'll tell you my new flight schedule. And, you know, I went to that meeting, and sure enough, they began to talk about it. And I'm just like, uh, I don't agree with this. And, and we, you know, it's easy to back away. And I'm watching people, 
You've seen it too, though. It's like, you know the truth. You know the truth of what happened in that situation. You have firsthand information, and you've told me about it, and you're not willing to speak up right now because if you speak up, you'll be associated with the person that's being targeted. We need to have some courage to stand with one another. I'll do that for you. You do it for me. We'll do it for each other, and we'll follow Jesus. Father, thank you for your word. So good to have it, just to know, Lord, that there's a soundness in the health that's available to us. So, Lord, we ask that you speak to our hearts, you administer to our hearts as we walk out of these doors, that we're not going to allow that which has been handed down for 2,000 years and has written it for us in black and white. We're not going to allow it to be tampered with or changed. Lord, we stand up, we answer the call, we will earnestly contend for that which you have entrusted to us. Give us the grace. Give us the strength. May we do it by the power of the Spirit that you supply to us.